0: section 11 of the american postal service second edition this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by michelle fry baton rouge louisiana the american postal service second edition by louis melius chapter 4 special articles part 6 training public officials the following editorial article from the washington d c post while not relating to postal affairs particularly but treating of the public service generally has yet its peculiar significance to postal affairs as eighty percent of all public employees are in some way connected with the postal service this very thoughtful and clearly expressed editorial contains so much of value upon a subject to which but little attention has been given that the matter may well occupy a share of public concern in a country such as ours where so large a portion of its people occupy public position the post says There has been a steady increase in the number and variety of government activities. As industry has become more complex, more government agencies have been created for the purpose of regulation and control. Unfortunately, improvement in methods has not kept pace with the addition of new agencies. Touching upon this condition, Professor Charles A. Beard of Columbia University, supervisor of the Training School for Public Service, recently asked, how can we educate the public up to an appreciation of the necessity for trained and expert service in every branch of the government how can we order our public service so that it will attract the ablest men and women and guarantee progressive careers to those who prove loyal and efficient how can we develop our civil service commissions into genuine recruiting agencies capable of supplying the government with exactly the type of service needed for any given movement and of maintaining a loyal and efficient personnel if promotions were more certain in the government service there would be no dearth of competent men to fill the places higher up to solve this particular phase of the problem however it will be necessary to have the government pay higher salaries Better pay is now available in private industry than in the public service, and the government has not yet reached the point where there is any general realization of the sound principle that it is better in the long run to pay high salaries to efficient men than to employ mediocre men at smaller salaries. The universities and colleges can do their part in training young men who seek elective offices, but a man well trained for office might lack like the qualities which make for political success. Many foreign cities are run by experts. A large city frequently hires its chief executive from some neighboring town. A competent manager in a small city knows that he has an excellent chance of attracting attention by good work and getting a promotion. This system has been tried out in a small way in the United States, where a number of cities have hired managers to take full charge, with indifferent results. While progress toward efficiency is apt to be slow, the increased discussion of the problem is certain to bear good results eventually. For the benefit of the fourth class postmaster While the public concern has received the utmost attention, there are, however, some questions of interest affecting the welfare of postal employees, which should be given consideration it is but common justice to consider the present method of payment to fourth-class postmasters for it allows them but small returns for their labor if the same high standard of efficiency is expected of them which should obtain in the service generally they should have their labor properly compensated at present the law restricts the salaries to be paid according to the volume of outgoing mail at their office the rural carrier who works under the postmaster is under no such restrictions is better paid and has more holiday privileges the fourth-class postmaster may have to work half days on holidays and sundays and have no leave of absence the rural carrier has both the position of postmaster may therefore be said to be less desirable than that of the carrier though his official responsibility from the nature of his duties is greater at the recent state convention of third and fourth class postmasters held at sunbury pennsylvania the question was brought up and a reform urged in the matter there is much to be said in favor of a more equitable adjustment and the subject can be approached without detriment to the carrier by a wider and more comprehensive view of the duties of the postmaster and a corresponding improvement in the method of payment THE INTRODUCTION OF THE PARCEL POST AS A GREAT COMMON CARRIER IS AN ADDED FEATURE IN CONNECTION WITH THIS SUBJECT. THE FOURTH-CLASS POSTMASTER RECEIVES MUCH MORE MAIL THAN HE SENDS OUT. THIS INEQUALITY, WHICH AFFECTS HIS PAY, CAN BE LARGELY CORRECTED IF THE POSTMASTERS IN CITIES WOULD ADOPT SOME PRACTICAL MEASURES TOWARDS STIMULATING ORDERS FROM CITY PATRONS FOR FARM PRODUCE, WHICH COULD BE SHIPPED BY MAIL the organic act passed by congress contemplated such advantageous interchange for the benefit of the fourth-class postmaster as well as the city consumer and a steady and persistent effort in that direction by the city postmasters would greatly assist in carrying out the intention of congress in this respect and popularize the plan in the rural sections by the reciprocal advantages it would confer the fourth-class postmaster could however greatly benefit himself even under present methods by making an earnest and industrious effort to develop the parcel post idea in his community embracing the opportunities of his official relation to the service by encouraging and taking an active part in every detail of postal management of which just now the parcel post is so conspicuous a feature and whose more extended use among the people would so greatly advance his official as well as his personal interest public work and private control it is sometimes asked why the post office department cannot be managed as if it were in the hands of a private corporation many reasons might be given but a few will serve to explain the difference and perhaps enlighten the public who may expect more than the department can perform in the first place the service is throughout closely controlled by congress through its committee on post offices and post roads and no important variations in the system or the methods of administration can be initiated without their concurrence and even if any particular or significant change is proposed by such committee it is not always possible to obtain full congressional consent differences between the administrative heads of the department and congress as to the necessity or advantage of certain plans or methods are not uncommon especially when any proposed changes antagonize existing usage or clash with party policy or expediency when proposed changes invade the domain where private enterprise has interests more or less valuable already established influence may be brought to bear or to counteract the reforms proposed based on honest grounds of dissent as to the real benefit or practical advantage to be gained by the adoption of such measures unless it can then be shown that public interests would be benefited by the changes proposed the department might have difficulty to overcome this opposition in the next place corporate control moves within narrower limits and exercises its power in more direct fashion in theory a corporation is composed of its stockholders a majority of whom nominate the board of directors this board in turn appoints the permanent officials and they exercise full control in operation wide powers are given to these men and the policies advanced for extending influence and gaining profit are generally adopted it is quite different dealing with congress new policies are not always accepted sometimes rejected or ignored it therefore follows that private concerns having a freer hand and no complicated management to contend with can institute experiments and try methods and if well conceived obtain results which a more restricted authority could only perhaps with difficulty secure A striking contrast between public and private control is seen in the appropriation system by which the departments are governed. Aside from the difficulty often experienced in securing additional help when required, which would be readily given in great private concerns because of expected advantages to follow, department needs are sometimes left unsupplied, and the dispatch of business hindered by delay in this respect, or in the installation of mechanical appliances so generally used now, and which have in recent years, to a very large extent, taken the place of human agencies in the business world. Perhaps one of the greatest difficulties which obtains in public work, aside from what has already been mentioned, and which has hampered more rapid progress in the post office department, was the tendency and practice to adhere to old established rules and precedents these lax methods which were particularly apparent in the business customs and official procedure of the department were so firmly embedded in its official life that it required a firm hand and a positive purpose to dislodge them The present postmaster-general had both the courage and the desire to sweep away these relics of a bygone period, and substitute newer and more suitable methods to meet progressive conditions, and the department is now conducted as it should be, and public complaints caused by these obsolete and unsuitable measures is now largely avoided. These are some of the things that confront and have confronted the department in its efforts towards greater efficiency. Conditions must be taken into account and understood. The department must always be a public function and under government control, and be conducted more or less according to public usage. While red tape rules and customs will to some extent remain, great progress has been made in many directions, and public methods by skillful management brought nearer to the success of business life and the time is near at hand when the answer to the interrogatory first propounded may be made in the affirmative protecting the public records among the many useful and necessary reforms accomplished by the postmaster-general may be mentioned the institution of a hall of records for the protection of the files and valuable papers which belong to the department these records contain the history of postal administration from the beginning, and deserve the most careful attention, not only on account of their sentimental, but their historical value as well. The rise and progress of this index to our developing greatness in postal progress, from the days of Benjamin Franklin to our own times, is recorded in the volumes which form the great official library of the department the opinions acts and state papers of every postmaster-general are found here and a complete history of the whole postal administration could be compiled from these records it is a matter of some surprise that preceding administrations paid so little attention to the care and proper housing of these valuable files and papers for years they were stored in the garrets and attic of the old post-office building inconvenient of access and so limited in space that any semblance of order was next to impossible lying there for years practically undisturbed a prey to the ravages of dust and decay it is a wonder that they are in any condition of preservation whatever the traces of neglect and ill usage has left its marks visibly upon these old volumes and but for the quality of the material then used and the care in binding then demanded for public documents they would be of but little service now to postmaster-general burleson belongs the credit of rescuing these valuable archives of his department from ultimate destruction space was found on the first floor of the building for storage and arrangement a force of clerks from each bureau was detailed for this work the books and papers were removed from the nooks and corners to which they were relegated and under careful supervision located in the place provided for them accumulations of dust brushed off bundles of documents neatly arranged and tied anew frayed edges and loosened covers attended to and the more important historical records set apart for rebinding when necessary Protected now from danger, easy of access, and convenient for reference, with space and light to assist in general preservation, these records can now be readily consulted, time is saved in search, and conditions in every way made serviceable and satisfactory. With an elaborate and carefully designed system of indexing, this official record is perhaps the most complete of any of the departments of the government. REGISTRY, INSURANCE, AND COLLECT-ON-DELIVERY SERVICES FOR THE FISCAL YEAR, 1916. THE NUMBER OF PIECES OF MAIL REGISTERED, INSURED, AND SENT COLLECT-ON-DELIVERY DURING THE FISCAL YEAR ENDED JUNE thirtieth, 1916, IS SHOWN IN THE FOLLOWING STATEMENT. REGISTERED PAID REGISTRATIONS, DOMESTIC LETTERS AND PARCELS, Twenty nine million ninety one thousand five hundred six foreign letters and parcels five million one hundred seventy nine thousand three hundred twenty five total paid registrations thirty four million two hundred seventy thousand eight hundred thirty one free registrations official four million nine hundred sixty five seven hundred thirty eight total paid and free 39,236,569. Amount collected for registry services: $3,427,083.10. Insured: Fourth Class Domestic Parcel Post. Total pieces insured: 3 cent, 5 cent, 10 cent, and 25 cent fees. 24,936,082. Total fees, $1,067,192.29. Collect on delivery, 4th class domestic parcel post pieces, 6300546 Fees, $630,054.60. Readjustment of rate for second class mail. One of the vexatious problems with which the department has to deal is that relating to second-class mail matter, which costs the government several times over what is received therefrom in the way of revenue. In March of 1911, Congress passed a joint resolution authorizing the appointment of a commission to investigate the subject and make a report thereon. The President selected Mr. Justice Hughes of the Supreme Court, President Lowell of Harvard University, and Mr. Harry A. Wheeler of Chicago. This commission found that the cost to the government of handling and transporting this mail was about six cents a pound, for which the government received but one cent a pound. The department recommended an increase to two cents a pound, which was approved by the commission february twenty second nineteen twelve the report was submitted to congress by the president who urged favorable consideration but so far no action has been taken suggestions as to desirable changes in relation to second-class mail matter have been made to congress by postmaster-general burleson in which several ideas as to a more equitable arrangement were proposed by which the government would get a compensation more nearly in accord with the expense of this service but without result and the whole subject remains undisposed of with the prevailing rate still in force This class of mail increased 93,184,891 pounds over that of the year 1915, notwithstanding the higher cost of paper and material. The readjustment of rates is held to be necessary in view of the disproportion of revenue to the cost of handling and transportation postmaster-general charles emery smith in his annual report to congress in nineteen hundred referring to the cost of carrying second-class mail matter as hindering the progress of rural delivery extension said In my last annual report, it was shown that if a class of publications, which now, under an evasion of the purpose of the law, pays the second-class rate of postage, were really made to pay the third-class rate, as they ought to do, it would bring an additional revenue to the government of $12,343,612. This amount is lost through an abuse that can be and ought to be rectified it is a public contribution without any public advantage for the sole benefit of a few private interests if it is a question between favoring a very limited number of publishers and favoring twenty-one millions of people who live on the farms of the united states there ought to be no hesitation in serving the many rather than the few the abuse should be uprooted as a public duty, the National Delivery Service should be undertaken as a public policy, and when, through the overthrow of the wrong, the right can be established without the slightest additional burden, the appeal becomes irresistible. End of section 11